Hi friends, I'm Tanya Luna, psychology researcher and educator. And I'm Brian Luna, and I'm feeling just as lost as the rest of us. And you're listening to Talk Psych to Me. A show where we take research out of the lab and into the street. Shall we continue our tradition that we started last week and Absolute. start with some shout-outs? Absolutely. And this week's shout-out goes to everyone out there who's listening. We wish everyone the very best. Stay angry, stay alert, stay hopeful. I am glad you said anger because, as you know, we've been exploring the psychology of the seven deadly sins. Absolutely. And it seems like a good time to figure out <laughs> wrath. <laughs> wrath is, yeah, very timely right now. Aside from the wrath that we're feeling about the state of our country right now, which we'll definitely get into today, mm-hmm. I think I heard some wrath coming from the living room earlier. Wrath? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I want to unwind or want to just kind of relax, I actually hype myself up and I play a little Call of Duty. <laughs> so, um, wait, wait. So when you want to relax yeah. and hype yourself up? Well, not hype myself. I don't know. It's kind of both ways. Uh, Sounds <laughs> like you just want a good reason to play some video games. I just, I like playing when I'm in my head a lot. And obviously all of us have been in our heads, in our heads and out on the streets and everything. And so um, I jumped on, I was playing and I get a little hyped up, get a little into it, get a little... What is it about video games that incurs your wrath? In that moment when you get killed, like when you get shot and you're, you're down, you take it so personally. And then when you kill someone, you're like, <laughs> it's the biggest game of tag or something when you're a kid and there are no parents around. Which so is you like could a let lot more violent. Bomb. Well, the way we played tag was pretty violent because we're like, <laughs> if I can't touch you and I hit you with the rock, you're it. So you're like, wow. yeah. So what exactly is wrath or anger as it's more commonly referred to today from well, I think wrath and anger are two different things. I, I would think. say wrath is at the extreme side of the anger yeah. spectrum. I think wrath is anger with action. Mm. That's what, that's how I would see it. Because okay. like everyone feels angry. You're stuck in traffic. Someone cuts you off. You son of a... And then in a minute, your favorite song comes off. You're like, you son of a... Oh, I like this. Boo-da, boo-da, boo. You know, and then and you're back. <laughs> wrath is I'm going to follow that boop and then I'm going to I'm going to go to the parking lot target and then when he gets out you know So that's whatever. wrath. That's wrath. I think. I, I think you're making a really important point which is people often confuse anger and aggression but they can be two totally separate things. I mean usually anger underlies aggression but you can be angry and not take action. So before we talk about aggression let's just talk about anger. Okay. Why do you think people feel anger? Like what is anger? Everyone has this little campfire that hasn't been lit every day when you get up. Every day when you wake up, you you got new logs, <laughs> new so stones, new like little kindling all over there. Like you have all that stuff. And then all day long, someone's going along and being like, hey, bud. And you're like, bud, click. You know, and there's someone going, <laughs> it's, it's someone just getting a little flint rock and being like, and it's just a little spark. Nothing yet. Nothing yet. And someone cuts you off in traffic and, and gives you the finger and you're like, that's like three of them. So like all these little things. And for some reason, some people like when you, when someone cuts your mom off in traffic, she doesn't get mad. doesn't bother her. But she gets mad if someone makes fun of Gary Knoll. Then she's like, you know, true. so she has her own. I would say that would incur wrath. <laughs> that would incur wrath. Gary Knoll is this like the health guru. Health and vitamins. Anyway, everyone has these little things and that sparks, that can light that anger campfire. Okay. At the end of the day, when you go to bed. That can't, someone comes in, <laughs> cleans up the camp, puts new logs for the next day, and that's where you are. Now, that said, that same campfire can fester into wrath if it goes unchecked. 
All of a sudden, you grab one of those logs and you've got a little torch and you could take that and light other people's fires. Maybe wrath is like when no one's cleaning out the campfires and they just keep growing and growing and growing and growing. Yes. Okay. Okay. We'll definitely get into that. Okay. According to psychologist Paul Ekman, anger is a universal emotion showing up in all people all across the world. But there is some debate in psychology about what anger actually is. I've never heard the campfire model. I mean, But I do think that's one worth considering. Some say (laughs) it's a primary emotion. Some say it functions as a secondary or substitute emotion. So let's tackle those perspectives one by one. As a primary emotion, anger seems to be our reaction to obstacles. Okay. That's as simple as it gets. So even tiny babies express anger when their movements are restricted. <laughs> you meant tiny babies were obstacles. <laughs> you're like, you're like in our response to obstacles, tiny babies. I was like, yeah, those are. If they're really tiny, that is an obstacle. If they're a bunch all over the place. Yeah. Just tiny babies all over the place. All over the place. You're just trying you're to like, cross ah, the room. I just want to get just... some water. Ah, there's all these tiny babies yeah, all so over the place. so tiny babies could be your obstacle or you can be a tiny baby's <laughs> obstacle. What? Like, for example, if you're bundling them up and they're like, ah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah, do yeah. you want to hear my tiny baby cry? Please don't do it. It's so, no, no, no. It's so weird. Let it's so do weird. It. This is like my one good reason to do <sighs> it. It's pretty good. No. So a small obstacle could be not having the snacks that you like, could lead to like frustration or annoyance. I have a feeling you're going to point a finger pretty soon. Okay. My fingers are currently at my sides, neutral. You are doing jazz hands right now. (laughs) I am doing jazz hands. (laughs) A big obstacle could be injustice. Again, we'll definitely get into that. Yes, please. Right? So it's all still on the same spectrum, Uh but on the one hand, you could have rage, maybe even wrath. Okay, but rage, wrath, same thing. Right? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, wrath isn't about... really used in psychology. That's more. That's you know, more like biblical. Well, not just biblical, but it's also like um, literary. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. it's yeah. meant so to let's, like let's instill, uh, paint a picture. Rage, major obstacle, annoyance could be like a pet peeve. Mm-hmm. Right? That said, sometimes the things that I perceive as just a small obstacle, you might respond to with rage. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. I knew I was... Every week it's a setup. Since you are so skilled in rage, <laughs> frustration, annoyance, all kind of the full spectrum you're very good at, what do you see as the function of anger? An outlet. For? It's a valve. It's a release valve. But why mm-hmm. are you feeling it in the first place? Well, I mean, because we're human, right? Things annoy us. Okay, Things so, get so to us. you don't us. think that anger has a function? I'm saying you need to know context. Like if you're in a fight or if you're running for your life, yeah, anger is going to come into play there. If you're down and out, you're on one knee and they're counting and they're like, one, two, and they're up to seven and eight, you better get angry and get yourself up to feel yourself up. Ultimately, it seems that the purpose of anger, we've evolved to feel anger as a means of propelling action. So brain imaging studies show that when we're angry, the part of the brain that lights up, the lateral orbitofrontal cortex, it's the part of the brain responsible for motivation and action. Which part? Lateral orbitofrontal cortex. Okay. Not the squishy bit. It's the, (laughs) what's it one more time? Lateral orbitofrontal cortex. You know, you're saying it different every single time. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Anyway, the point is anger makes us act. We might take action to protect our turf, to regain our power, to scare off a threat. (laughs) Yeah, in the 70s. Um, Or like when I get onto your side of the couch. Oh, I see. (laughs) (laughs) Anger could be a function. It could function to correct someone's behavior. Like, why did you crush my chips that one time? Oh, why you gotta bring up stuff? Why you gotta eat old sins for dinner? This is a whole series on sins. Uh, all right, fine. Well, do you want to tell a story? Because this is all I know. This is my, <laughs> this is my side of the story. I had a bag of chips. I don't eat chips often. 
I like to enjoy them when I do eat them. Mm-hmm. And I put the chips in the pantry. Mm-hmm. And then a few days went by and I was like, ah, <laughs> it's a good time for a chip. And I went over to my chip bag, waiting for that like fresh, perfect no. crunch. And what do I see? Just chiplets. No. Just little tiny crumbs. I wanted you, because I knew you loved these chips, that I wanted to give you more chips. So <laughs> I wanted to make more for you. It was you. like chip powder. Yeah. So basically. So, what, so that was my side of the story. What was your side of the story? So you and I were in a fight. You said something to me. I, I, you got me so frustrated. And it was one of those fights where... I was so mad and all you did was ask me questions. Why are you mad? Because I feel this. Why are you feeling this? Because this is how I feel. Why are you feeling that? Because, you know, it's just like, so I was like, forget it. I'm not mad anymore. I'm fine. This is great. This is how I am. So I went to the kitchen while you were sitting there with your little ponytail and you were all like, you know, with your chin in the air like you won and you were like, going and continuing the the horrible behavior you were doing. And then uh, I went into the cupboard and I saw your little salt vinegar fancy chips. You know, those those are harder than Lay's or or Ruffles. And I saw them. Why do you have to judge my chips while you're destroying them? So so I heard your voice in the other room. I heard you say something. And I reached into those. I crushed the shit out of those chips and I put them back in and and I felt I felt terrible. And in my defense, I told you I did it. You started laughing and you're like, why would you do that? And I was like, let's break down the psychology of that. Why why do you think you crush my chips? Sometimes you act like a little know-it-all and I couldn't, I, you, you got me so mad. You got me, no one in my life has ever gotten me. I feel like I have to hide my (laughs) chips right now. So would you say it was an act of what a psychoanalyst would call displacement, where you take your anger out on my chips, or were you trying to like correct my behavior and teach me a lesson? I wasn't trying to correct your behavior. It was, it was literally like, I, I couldn't stop myself. And I put him back in and I was like, that was really shitty. Like, I was like, oh man, I shouldn't have done. felt shame. I've, yes, I felt, I felt really terrible about it. Great. Moving on. Now that that's been established. So here's another explanation of anger. Of why I did it? No, (laughs) this whole episode. (laughs) This whole episode is why I crushed my chips. Why did you crush my chips? Okay. So that's looking at anger as a primary emotion, emotion as obstacle, right? Mm -hmm. You saw me as an obstacle to, I don't know, (laughs) living a happy life. You were a tiny baby. (laughs) (laughs) I mentioned earlier that there's another theory of anger, which is that it functions like a secondary or substitute emotion. This theory holds that anger exists to shield us from pain, like fear or our feelings being hurt or even physical pain. Absolutely. Yeah. I think men are really good at this, you know, like from from children into like more complex emotions, like even like liking someone and they don't like you back. Instead of processing that as hurt, we process that that is anger. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how it comes across. Yeah, in many ways, you're kind of shamed for expressions that are more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, so John Gottman, uh, he's a psychologist that studies relationships. So we'll we'll, we'll probably be coming back to him. You mean for Um, help? Yeah, (laughs) please. (laughs) If this chip incident repeats itself, he describes anger as this iceberg where anger is the thing that you see up top, but there's actually all the stuff going on beneath the surface. Things like shame and Mm -hmm. fear and hurt. What do you think? Is anger or wrath a sin? And is it bad for us and the people around us and the chips around us? No, absolutely not. I think it's part of human nature. And with everything going on right now, the state of our country and with the protests that are going on, I do think this is an expression, a necessary expression of rage 
it feels like the country right now needs to purge this. I mean, it's something that's been going on for years and years and years, decades, a century of injustice. And anger can only be quelled so much before it becomes rage, before it becomes an act. It isn't a sin. It's necessary for people, society, community. Maybe no anger, no action. No anger, no action. So based on the research, the answer is, as basically all the sins we've covered so far, it kind of depends. Anger is sort of like fuel for your car. So what matters is where you take your car. Right. Right. No fuel, we don't get anywhere. Right. But sometimes we get somewhere really bad. It does seem that persistent anger, usually referred to in psychology as hostility, is bad for our health. At least we start there. Starting with yeah. you, the angry person. Okay. Not you, Brian. Well, also you, Brian. Or, but... <laughs> yeah, say, or me, Brian. <laughs> and then kind of zooming out to, sure. to others okay. and then to society. So hostility typically stems from perpetually seeing people around you as having bad intentions, which is sometimes real and sometimes just in our heads. Mm-hmm. So in a study that compared the effects of smoking, alcohol, caloric consumption, so like eating, and hostility on cardiac health, researchers found that hostility was the best predictor of heart disease. Hmm. So if you chronically feel angry, you're more likely to get sick. In a different study that followed a group of lawyers, researchers found that hostile lawyers died in larger numbers during the course of the study. Which I was just like picturing, how do you get someone to sign up for that study? Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Like, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, so like, how does this work? And we're going to give you the $5 up front. (laughs) Oh, okay, great, great. If I get the five bucks up front, then yeah, let's do it. You shut up, you know, and just like get into it then, yeah. So, but here's the thing. And I think you were getting at this earlier with your uh, Luna campfire theory of anger. It's hard <laughs> to know for sure if anger is bad for us so much as anger suppression. That's what it is. And I think that's where the health concerns are. Without expression, it just builds. It builds and builds and builds. It doesn't go anywhere. A study following people for 12 years found that people who bottled up their anger had a 30% higher rate of premature death and 70% higher chance of being diagnosed with cancer. Oh my God. Wow. It turns inward somehow. And these findings are especially disturbing because norms of anger expression vary widely, even within our country, but certainly Mm. globally also. So some people even go so far as to say that anger expression is a privilege that some of us have and some of us don't have. What do you think about that? Well, I think Kevin Bacon and Footloose had the best outlet for anger. He would just dance that shit off in an empty grave. <laughs> or you call that sublimation. It's when you take uh, kind of this like rage and turn it into something constructive like art or music. Or those badass dance moves. <laughs> Hell yeah, sublimation. He sublimated the shit out of that song. He turned on his thing and he was like, doom, doom, doom. Um, what Kevin was the question? Bacon. Yeah. The question. <laughs> Anger is privilege. Oh. It makes me think of, I was teaching this workshop once on emotional intelligence. A participant came up to me afterwards who was this really tall black guy. And he was like, my colleagues keep telling me I'm angry mm-hmm. and I'm not angry. 100%. What am I supposed to do? He had this big voice. He had big gestures. And anytime he felt even slightly enthusiastic, let alone maybe he just actually felt angry, people around him would get freaked out. Like he got so emotional in that workshop because he was like, wow, I'm realizing that I have to try to make myself physically smaller mm-hmm. all the time. I have to lower my voice. Yeah. God forbid I disagree with anyone. I have to do it in the most delicate way. Otherwise, it gets real quiet, real tense, real weird. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. I believe 100% it's a privilege because even if you look at the comparison that people are making right now to the protests that happened, you know, in Michigan with the armed people that were primarily white. And it was called a protest. And it was called a protest. They were expressing their rights. Mm -hmm. And the moment people of color took action against 
the death and murder of Greg Floyd. They were thugs and they were rioters because there were no reports of macing anyone at the in Michigan. And, you know, you see this cop driving down while the protesters are on either side of his car and he just pulls out his mace and sprays into the crowd. Like, they're not even in, in his way. That's where we are right because now. Because of the expectation because of, of Because of the we're of color, so we're immediately a threat. Yeah. And that so happens... So your anger is seen as dangerous. Absolutely. Absolutely. The fascinating thing is that these stereotypes that we hold about darker-skinned, angry people don't seem to check out with reality. In a study by Mabry and Kaikolt in 2005, they found that black and white participants were no different in their feelings of or expression of anger. Black participants, they did report feeling more mistrust, which makes a whole heck of a lot of sense, Mm -hmm. but they had no difference in how often they got angry or how they expressed anger. It doesn't make any sense if people thought otherwise, like that white people don't get angry, uh, only like, uh, you know, I I get a lot of the um, uh, fiery latin blood you know like i get that i get that that's like a stigma you know like if i get angry they're like oh he's so fiery it's like well, no i mean i get angry just like everyone else does there's actually a study done by deffenbacher and swain that looked at mexican-american and white american male teenagers and this time they looked at verbal and physical aggression differences what would you think they found what's your hypothesis that the white kids were angrier yes yeah how'd you know that Because they have the privilege of being able to express that Mm. without any kind of, like, threat. Growing up a Mexican-American, a Native American, we we were always kind of told, like, hey, don't make a ruckus. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, they're going to get you first. They ain't going to go after these kids. How old do you think you were the first time your parents told you something like that? She must have been about eight years old. Yeah. So basically, right from the beginning, being told anger is dangerous. Or over-expression of anger is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Women, and especially black women, women of color, probably experience the most widely spread anti-anger stigma, I would say. Like the angry black woman archetype. It's often used consciously, maybe unconsciously, by people as a way to sort of enforce compliance, even just like silence someone. Many researchers believe that anger suppression in women is actually a leading cause of depression, anxiety, and even cancer. Do you ever feel like you were not allowed to be angry as a woman? Well, I think we have this like weird opposite situation where you think I should be angrier. You're not a messy, angry person. You're not a sloppy, angry person. But you like that kind of thing. Why? Because I'm (laughs) Mexican-American? Apparently not based on research. (laughs) I mean, you've told me many times that you feel like I'm not expressing enough emotion. Yeah. Like when when we're in an argument and I give you the facts, you're like, show me how you're feeling. And I'm like, yeah, I remember when we first got together, I was like, you wouldn't yell at me like you you would yeah, you would treat it you you would argue with me the way Hannibal Lecter would argue with me and you would get in my <laughs> shit and I'd be like wait is this what I'm feeling where am I I hate me now you know like and, and then you would just well, leave me there like you would leave me there in my own puddle of like self-doubt and self I'd be like I hate myself I must be terrible you know so I would like a little more emotion from you <laughs> So uh, to answer your question, no, I don't think I'm repressing or suppressing anger, but it's so hard to know because in my culture, we're sort of socialized to not express those strong emotions. In what culture? Because you were, you weren't raised really like Ukrainian <laughs> or, or, or any, you were raised in, in Crooks. You're, you had Crooklyn. You were, you were there in Brooklyn with like girls from Brooklyn. <laughs> so like it, you were kind of raised yeah, with a lot of I, Italian friends and you had to, a lot of Latino friends. Yeah. I would say I had to manufacture expressions of anger. I don't think there's a whole lot of anger. You used to fake it? Yeah, I faked anger. <gasps> yeah. Can you give me an example? I even used to fake taking off earrings I wasn't wearing. <laughs> like before a fight. 
that's a definite fluff up. You know, yeah. like what roosters do, like when they when they get their chests out. Yeah. That's definitely a, a thing. This know, happens a lot close. in the animal world. For example, antelopes will do these like sudden wild expressions of strength and speed as a way to sort of like freak out lions and be like, what? So like if I'm an antelope and I see a lion like checking me out, I'll run over to the, like where the bench is and I'll put on like 315. I'll just start benching it. That's, that's like pushing it up. We're like, what? What are you going to do, lion? Right. Bring it on, lion. <laughs> what? What, dog? What? <laughs> What do you think society would be like if there were more angry women or if women were invited to demonstrate their anger more? Just, it would be like our house. So good. (laughs) (laughs) Why wouldn't it be good? I mean, I think a lot of times as soon as a woman has an opinion, you see this in politics a lot, then, oh my God, what a, you know, B-I-T-C-H or what a... Why are you spelling it? Just because in case there are any kids listening. (laughs) I don't know. I don't like saying that word, but you know what I mean? Like if a woman has an opinion or a strong opinion, all of a sudden she's a hard ass, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I see this a lot with like young politicians coming up and they make a statement or demand justice or demand something else. And like, oh my God, look at this little so-and-so upstart. Young politician, a male comes up and says the same thing. It's like like, Wow, this guy. Yeah. Look at the leadership on this guy coming up and, and going against the grain. We actually did something at my company a few years back that I think was really cool which is to normalize negative emotions more in the workplace. We just got better at saying, hey, you don't have to smile all the time. You don't have to apologize for feeling annoyed. You don't have to apologize for feeling sad. Just let's create more space to be angry, to be sad, to be frustrated, to be annoyed and not treat it as though it's like this taboo thing. And I actually think it was great for us, for trust, for communication, for actually getting through the anger, right? Because to your point, you hold on to it and yeah. you're not going to become something it. else. Yeah. Y'all also started a fight club. <laughs> that right? was also, yeah, that really was also... <laughs> So turning more, speaking of suppressed anger to current events now, one leading explanation, as you said, and this is what psychologists all around the US and all around the world have been talking about, which is that riots, and that's when protests have some degree of aggressive expression. Mm-hmm. Their response to anger suppressed, bubbling over. So it's not just about George Floyd or Ahmaud Aubrey or Breonna Taylor specifically. These are all just sort of sparks. Absolutely. That light this, yeah, this people, powder keg that's already full. Some of the comments on my Facebook, people like not happy with the protests. Like they're saying like uh, one person did. I was like, this isn't about one yeah, person. Yeah, for anyone who thinks that a huge mass movement is ever about one a, event. George Floyd, this is about this is about the next George Floyd. And this is about the thousands of George Floyds before George Floyd. You know what I mean? Like this is this is not an easy, an easy thing for people to understand. There's, and as much as I don't want to see the country that I love, see it going up in flames and, and people rioting and getting hurt. There's no way for me to sit there and say, I don't condone this. There's no playbook for this. This has never happened. We've never been this so this frustrated and this this angry and this this uh, this wrathful. Oh, I was just reading last night about riots that were happening in the 19, 1919 and nineteen twenty. Yes. Yes. There was another pandemic, there was another recession, and there were race riots. Absolutely. And it was like all the same stuff happening. So in many ways, it's like... The 50s, I don't know, the keep, 40s in yeah. San Francisco. 1992 in Absolutely. LA. I was just watching this video, and it actually made me cry. And it was this 31-year-old black man, and he was talking to this 46-year-old black man. This this 46-year-old black man was, was so irate, and he was like screaming that we need to burn it all down and we need to, and the 31 year old grabbed me he's like just talk to me like tell me because i'm 31 you're 46 
we're still doing this, you know, like, like you tell me, I know, I know we're frustrated. And then he grabs the 16 year old boy mm. and he goes, listen to me. And he, and he pulled him up. And so the three of them are on camera together and he goes, this is you in 10 years, like mm. 10 years ago, I was you and I was fighting for this. I'm 31 now. What we're doing isn't working. So you, meaning like his generation, you have to do something. What we're doing isn't working. And, and you have to find a better way. And People want to put this as a black thing. People want to say that this is just, it's a small group of people that are affected, but it's every person of color is going through this right now. Everyone is feeling this because of the, the tiny thousand cuts a day we feel, the injustices, it eventually will boil over into burning of cities. And people don't understand that because they're on the outside. Someone might look at me and be like, no, it, it doesn't affect you because you can pass or you can listen to the way you sound or whatever, but it affects me because I'm just brown enough. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I don't want to not be. We're all in it and we're all feeling it. And only a small group of us don't get it because... They don't ever have to live that. They don't ever have to understand that. And good, because I would never want this for anyone. And this man talking to this young boy, telling him, look at this. He was trying to keep the kid from looting and, and going. But I guess that's it. Like, it starts with, first of all, stepping back and asking, why is this happening? What is an expression of? What are the obstacles that right. are causing this constant anger? There's a Martin Luther King Jr. quote that's going around a lot now, which is, riots are the language of the unheard. Yeah. I think that's a really apt way to describe what's going on. Even looting. So many people are talking about it as like, oh, people taking advantage of the chaos. There's a researcher named Clifford Scott who's been studying riots for a long time. And he points out that looting is almost always this reaction to powerlessness. If you're in a chronic state of powerlessness, mm -hmm. you go, okay, this is an opportunity for me to almost like consciously or unconsciously, people are balancing out that feeling of loss of power. And a lot of people see riots as senseless, particularly because there tend to be these casualties that are either innocent bystanders mm. or sometimes people's own communities are destroyed. Sure. So it could be really hard to understand. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a cop in New York City, and she was saying she's terrified to go to work because her car is being set on fire. You know, it's mm -hmm. like... You could look at this from afar and go, why? Like, why anger expressed in that particular way? Why that cop who didn't yeah. do anything? Or why this store that's actually owned by someone in your neighborhood? But what I was, I was kind of playing historian for these last few days and trying to read up on, do riots make sense? Like, are they senseless or do they actually cause change. I was reading up on what are the consequences of riots. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that a lot of times they work. Violence sometimes leads to positive change, change in mm. policies. But here's the thing. They appear just as likely to lead to policies that tighten controls and tighten policing, for example. Mm. There's this amazing analysis that I came across done by Erica Chenoweth and Maria Stephen. They looked at 322 mass actions around the world mm. between the year 1900 and 2006. And they categorized every single mass action as either violent or nonviolent, as well as all these other dimensions. And they went into it going, we're thinking violence is going to work. Do you want to take a guess what they found? What type of mass action is most effective in the long term for creating systemic change? What do you mean? What change? type of So action? like protests, boycotts, threats, riots. I would say riots seem to have the longest lasting effect 
that was their theory. That's what they went into going, mm -hmm. we're pretty sure that we're going to see that violence leads to faster change. They were really surprised to find that while violent protests, riots did sometimes have positive consequences, by far the most effective long-term change strategy was nonviolent action. Hmm. That said, there's a catch. So we often think of nonviolent action as like these peaceful sit-ins, mm -hmm. right, or, or like peaceful protests. What they found is that nonviolent actions only worked if they were really focused. So it was super mm. clear what it was that people yeah. wanted. And they needed to be sustained and extreme enough to force people in a position of power to demand change. So, for example, they talk about that this mass action in South Africa where black Africans stopped shopping in white-owned stores for months. And the white owners began insisting on policy changes. But it wasn't a week. It wasn't two weeks. It was months and months and months. Wow. They, they prepared for this for months. They stockpiled. They saved money. And the white store owners, regardless of their moral or political beliefs, they were like, um, yeah. we need the money. Yeah. So we need change. And so those types of mass actions were actually much more effective over the, over the long term. Yeah. Again, not to say violence doesn't work. It's just there's so much more of a likelihood of a backfire effect. Well, any law that changes has to be done financially first because you have to get politicians on your side. You have to get people. So if you attack a financial structure, and I say attack, I don't mean like, you know, rob and steal. You put I mean, pressure like, on it in some yeah, way. When you take away from area, then, then yeah, you're going to get those changes. And that makes complete sense. All that to say, I think calling riots and even looting destructive and senseless is totally missing the point. The point is that what's happening today is an expression of what's been happening every single day. And hopefully the people who are in a position to make change in policy don't get distracted yeah. by looking at the what's going on under the surf on the surface and instead go, wait, what are the things we can do to make change? And I guess I want to take back what I said about change not happening, yeah. because even if we look at, I don't know, TV shows that we watched, like movies that were filmed in the 80s, you know, where it's all white actors, for example, yeah. it like makes you feel a little weird watching it now because you're like, oh, that, that would never happen today. Like, I can't imagine a TV show where there wasn't representation or you walk into a company and you see people of color in positions of authority. So the change isn't happening fast enough, but I think it was wrong of me to say that the change hasn't happened. It's yeah. just... It's not happening fast. It's not happening fast. Look... As an actor, it's been tough. A lot of people don't understand like exactly what we go through as actors of color. We have time slots for auditions. If say my audition's at three o'clock and I show up at two thirty, I can't go in because they're seeing white people at the time. And a lot of people don't realize, like, oh my god, that when when what year was that? <laughs> I'm like, look, we're still getting cast based on color. And, and the entertainment I, industry is one place where discrimination is totally allowed. Well, but here's the thing. It's yeah. like we learn from what we see, you know, every day. So if those changes happened in the casting room, I'm not saying I want to be in everything. As a matter of fact, I feel myself pulling away more and more from what's out there commercially. And I'm, I'm focusing on my own projects because I can't fathom the idea of no change I, I remember talking to someone and hoping to join their their staple of, of actors this management team and it was this long meeting it was an hour and it was going great and making them laugh and you know like asking me all these questions and then they were at the end of it they were like well I've already got two like you. They must have meant handsome, brilliant, charming no. kind of man. And looking at their roster, yeah. they had a lot of 
of the same white person and only three of me and I knew what she meant by that. Yeah, and because what that person wasn't saying or maybe not even realizing is that the white pictures up there, those those headshots, those represented typical people or normal people, yeah, normal right? People, Versus yeah. like my special interest. <laughs> yeah. So know. here I am like looking at obituaries and crime reports going, hey, did that person, you know, is there a slot <laughs> oh left for me? God. Just kidding. I, I didn't care. It, it just, it was just, it, it's one of those things that a lot of people don't realize that the opportunity aren't there and it's what like you said it's one of the only fields where discrimination is still like it's legal it's legal and it's like it's out there i'm not saying boohoo i mean this is this is the, the field i've chosen but it does take its toll on your psyche after a while sounds like you're already kind of on the path to this i want to talk about anger done right okay the philosopher aristotle famously wrote anyone can become angry that's easy but to be angry with the right person into the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way that is not within everyone's power, and it is not easy. I think that was Coach Lombardi who said that. <laughs> I think he Which came took first? It. No, I think Socrates took that from Lombardi. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'll check the timeline. Yeah, again. check the timeline because, uh, yeah, it sounds a lot like Lombardi. So even teachings in Christianity tend to see wrath as good if it's felt for a good cause. Like, wait, I didn't like God's wrath. <laughs> yeah, like God's wrath. Yeah, like God's wrath is fine. <laughs> but me getting upset at the grocery store, bad. That's a sin. So injustice is yeah. seen as a justified reason to experience wrath, which I think I thought was actually kind of cool reading about it. Really, the sin part is considered wrath for no justifiable reason. Or when it's selfish. Or when it's selfish, right. So let's talk about being skilled at anger. Batman. I mean... The Hulk. Well, the Hulk, because he is pure wrath. I'm talking about OG Hulk, where, like, you know, he didn't have control over his things. But I'm talking, like, Batman was angered by the injustice of, of losing his family. So what does he do? He doesn't, like, become a lawmaker. He doesn't take his billions of dollars left to him. He and, dresses up like a bat. Well, he, well, yeah, that's... He does. But what he does, he, he trains his... No, he had the butler. Okay, yeah. He tricks uh, out his car. He tricks out his car... Pimps out his cave. Gets an acrobat sidekick. Gets, that was a little <laughs> I'm weird. I'm sorry, what do you want to say about Batman? Well, he, he just, he hones his body to perfection. Learns every martial art. Becomes the perfect living embodiment of wrath. Because he goes out every night and takes his wrath out on criminals and ne'er-do-wells and villains. So no one else ever has to feel the yeah. loss that he felt. So yeah. that's wrath done right. Yeah. He's lonely too though, right? Well, I mean, no. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I was lonely. reading a study that found that people who experience more loneliness also experience more anger. Mm. And one of the theories behind it is that as you distance yourself, you trust people less and less. You see the good in people less and less. You feel angry more. And it kind of like yeah. becomes this, this cycle. vicious cycle in a way. Yeah. I get where you're, where you're going with it. Like Batman is anger for good. But the question even about Batman or, you know, whatever the real version of Batman is, no offense, is <laughs> how do you do that in a way where it's the appropriate level of anger for others and for yourself? How do you get to a point of healthy anger? If you can focus that anger and channel it. I think anger can be such a beautiful force with focus. Mm -hmm. And so often we don't even know exactly what we're angry about or who we're angry with. There's even research that found that moral outrage, often that stems from a feeling of actual guilt. Hmm. For example, in a study that asked participants to read about how the clothing that they have were manufactured, when they found out that that clothing was made <laughs> by little kids, they actually expressed so much more anger and outrage toward the companies sure. that made those clothes yeah. versus going, wait a minute, I buy those right, clothes. Right, 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 right. 
So I think, not to say that all outrage is a result of guilt, but I think we have to take a really good look at what do we want to achieve with our anger, and then anger can be a really great agent for change. So yeah, number one, understand your anger. Why am I feeling it? Look beneath the iceberg and say like, what do I want to do with this? Do I want to keep this anger? Is this a justifiable anger, right? Is it my anger at myself? Am I angry at someone? Am I angry at something? And try to understand it and channel it. Sure. Now, let's say that you check to see if your anger has a purpose and you're like, it kind of doesn't. There's just no action for me to take right now. Maybe you actually want to get rid of some of that anger. There's still this pervasive belief that what Freud called catharsis, that sort of release valve that you've talked about before, violent video games, hitting, yelling, that that can really help our anger. Do you think that's true? Yes. Would you be willing to let me test that empirically? Yes. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to briefly recreate an experiment on you done by Brad Bushman on catharsis and see if it works. Okay. Okay, so first I'm going to ask you to just think of something that makes you angry. Okay. Racism right now, I think. is Okay. And while you're thinking about that, I want you to reach into that bag that I just left by your side. Mm -hmm. It's a bag full of cans. Okay. I want you to crush those cans. Take all your anger out on those cans. Okay. Ready, set, go. Okay. That was intense. (sighs) Okay. All right. How are you feeling? I feel sorry for those cans. Yeah. I think you did help out the recycling truck, though. Yeah, I think so. What do you think? Did it make you feel worse, better? You know, what I experienced was um, I felt myself holding my breath while I was thinking about this. And when you said stop, I exhaled. And I don't know that I feel better. It's not like anything's changed. But I don't feel that thing in my chest that I've been feeling for the last, you know, 10 days. Wow. Um, What you're saying is super interesting because what Bushman found is that in his research, he had people punch things while thinking about something that made them angry. And he found that punching things and thinking about the thing that made you angry or combining those two things actually led people to be even angrier. hmm. But... Research on relaxation techniques shows that just breathing, actually taking deep breaths and allowing yourself to like kind of think about something, write it down, get it out of your head in some way so that it's not just constantly swirling in there, that can be really effective. So I wonder if you like accidentally used a, a relaxation technique and snuck it in I there. I didn't mean to. I, I, I just, I started at... Uh, you breathed. I wonder yeah. if it's about the breathing, right? Maybe. Like anger so much is about like your body in this constant state of pre-action. You know, it's interesting because starting with the shooting of Maude Arbery and the rage that that had been brewing. And and I remember going downstairs and hitting the bag and it didn't help. And and I felt like I just needed to do it longer and and it didn't help. And then all it did was like create scenarios in my head to get me even more upset. Yeah, the more we think about it, the angrier we get. You know, earlier when we first started this conversation, you were saying that playing video games is a way for you to let off some steam. The research doesn't seem to support that. So it seems that when you're angry and you do violent things, it just amps you up more. And as someone who lives with you and watches you play those things, (laughs) I know it amps you up. I don't know why you think it's possible that those games actually relax you. I feel very relaxed. Because you walk out of there and your eyes are all like big and your fists are all clenched (laughs) and you're all sweaty and you're all like hot and it doesn't not make you feel more relaxed now if you want to just enjoy feeling that anger go for it but let's not pretend that it makes you relax and i I really do think that i needed to be 
I needed to stay in that anger. Well, a long and sometimes time. distraction and saying like, yeah. look, let me take this anger and just point it towards something that I can control right now. Hmm. It just you probably can't stay in that for too long without burning out. Yeah. So I think, unfortunately, we don't have nice, neat answers for you this week. But for me, my takeaway is to befriend anger, to not see anger as the enemy, to listen to your anger, to listen to other people's anger, to not see anger as the problem, but to really pause and say, what is the obstacle here? Because at the end of the day, that's what anger is. And to say, what is one even small step I can take? Because of course, we're all going to be feeling lost. It's because our anger is searching for us to go someplace. So we have to give our anger something to do. And hopefully that decision is made consciously. And I think it's important to say, is my anger masking anything? Is my anger hiding my pain? Is my anger hiding my fear? Because if that's the case, then maybe you got to set your anger down for a little bit and tend to those underlying feelings. And once you're ready, get angry again and go, okay, what are we going to do? Right. I'm actually going to go back on what I said earlier regarding the Hulk. In the Marvel Universe, he's seen as the epitome of anger. Uncontrollable, unreliable, everywhere scattered until... His inner self, Dr. Bruce Banner, learned to harness that anger mm. and use it for good. So in the immortal words of how we're going to get through this, so in the immortal words of Dr. Bruce Banner, that's the secret. I'm always angry mm. and use it to take care of others and to change the world around you. I hope wherever you are, you can accept your anger, not judge others for their anger, and take a small action today that will help yourself or others. And to everyone listening, please stay safe. And in these trying times, thank you for spending some time with us. And thank you for listening to Talk, Talk Psych, Psych to, to Me. me.